As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey folks, Dr. Tim Jordan here with another episode of Raising Daughters. I really appreciate you stopping by every week to listen in and to learn about girls, understanding girls, what's going on for girls, how to support girls. And today I decided to go a little different direction. I, I have uh, somebody I'm, I'm going to talk to in just a moment. I'll introduce her, a woman whose name is Sarah Evans, and she's doing something really amazing in Africa. And she's all about being of service. She has a daughter who's 10, who she's teaching about being of service. So I wanted to hear, I, I've talked to you guys about th this a lot over the last years of all these podcasts that how important it is for our girls to have examples of how people got to where they are, how they find their purpose, how they find their thing, how they find their calling. And so they realize that when they're 14, 16, 18, 22, they don't have to have it all figured out. So we're going to hear the background of Sarah Evans, who actually is a lawyer, I think by your original background, right? And she yes. started a not-for-profit called Well Aware, which she's going to explain to us in just a moment. But welcome, welcome to the show. I really appreciate you being on. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat with you. So how long have you had this not-for-profit? I started the nonprofit Well Aware 14 years ago. So it's been almost a decade and a half that we have been on this journey. Um, was not my formal training or plan in life, but I do think I'm right where I'm supposed to be. Yeah, that's, that's usually how it works, isn't it? it? I think so. I mean, I hope so. You know, I, yeah. you know, as you mentioned, you know, girls needing to figure out their path at such a young age is, is an unreasonable. So yeah, navigating that later in life is just fine too. Yeah. So you tell us briefly what, what your uh, not-for-profit does. I know you, you, you dig and create wells for people, but that's that's just the surface definition. What, what is it that your not-for-profit does? Yeah, I, I will try to not be too verbose because I get very excited about this and the, 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 um, the work that we do in international development in clean water is different than most work is done in this space. So I started the nonprofit Well Aware um, uh, after we did a project in Kenya, in East Africa. Um, I had no idea that my life would change in such dramatic ways at the time, but uh, I was asked by a friend who had family in Kenya to initially to help raise some funding, given my legal background for the paperwork and logistics, to raise some funding for, to replace some of the cattle and goats that were, that were dying in this village in Kenya in 2007. It was a, one of their... Um, 
most significant droughts. And so it was widespread, you know, problems across the whole country and region. And I said, of course, I want to help with this. And then I got really excited about learning more about it. And what I found was that this was absolutely a water problem. And it wasn't just the the livestock that were hurting. And and when the livestock hurt in these regions, that hurts the whole community because that is their livelihood. Um, But all of these other issues, the disease rates were going up so much. And this was all because of the lack of clean water. And I said, hey, why don't we instead consider raising funds to, to drill a water well? And I had no idea what I was doing. And I just thought you know, if we're going to explore the root cause of this issue, wouldn't we address that um, instead of, you know, putting band-aids on something that's going to reemerge? So I, um, I convinced my small group of friends at the time that we would indeed raise funds for a water well. And we did um, through our first really weird fundraiser called Shower Strike. And we flew to Kenya and we drilled a well and we got really darn lucky. And we, we drilled a very successful well that is still serving the community out there. And so that was the beginning of everything else. And now I read in your website, you have a hundred wells. Is that what I, am I remembering correctly? We just hit our 100th in April of this year. So we have oh. exceeded that by now, but yeah, we over a hundred. Congratulations. Yeah. That's, I, I read a, I read a book sometimes at camp to girls. I can't remember the title. I'll have to look in just a minute. It's about a girl who has to walk, I think it's five miles to a well from her village just mm-hmm. to get this big thing of water and she has to carry it back on her head and it, you know, five miles each way, it's hot and blah, blah. And so yeah. it not only does it, it uh, help out with livestock and stuff, but it, it also allows them to go to school. It is, it is such an incredible impact. And I don't think Tim, that most people understand what an impact it has on young girls. And so I, I do talk about this a lot, especially now that I have a daughter myself, I started this journey before she was born, but when she was born, it really solidified this path for me because the biggest impact of having clean water, the biggest detriment of not having clean water that falls on the shoulders of young women. Mm-hmm. And statistically, um, for every additional year a young woman is in school, her future income goes up 12%, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you put clean water right next to the school, and by the time she hits puberty and she needs those extra hygiene um, uh, facilities, then she will go to school and she won't you know, fall behind because she's out for a week and it's taboo. She's in school. Her future has changed forever. And so that is one of the main reasons that I have continued on this path. Well, I love I love the passion in your voice. I can see why you have a hundred successful wells because of your energy and your passion. So tell us how you got there. I, 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 there's a story. I'm not sure if you've heard of a woman. Her name is I always forget the last name. It's, it's Mary uh, Brute Mary Gal, uh, Galdikas, mm. and she's a primatologist. But when she was a little girl, she got a book. Somebody gave her of Curious George, mm-hmm. and she just fell in love. And she mostly fell in love, not with George, but with the man in the yellow hat. And she started and she took out all the Curious George books in the library and she started reading about primates because she said, I want to do what he does. I want to live in the jungle and work with monkeys and whatever. And she, you know, long to make a long story short, she did all that, got a degree in zoology, and she became one of the trimates, they call them. There's Diane Fossey, uh, Jane Goodall, and then. Yeah. Yeah. So she became the person who, and she studied orangutans because mm-hmm. she loved the way they looked 
and they looked at you in the eye and stuff. So her, her, the seeds for her started with reading Curious George at the age of five. So I'm curious about maybe if you look back, if you can, I, I have, I am, um, I described the girls what I call my dot theory, which is they don't need to know the final picture of their life, like those connect the dot drawings. Yes. You don't need to know, but so their job in my mind is to just be open to dots. Yeah. experiences across your path you feel drawn to. Mm -hmm. It can be classes, it can be jobs, it can be internships, it can be reading a biography, it can be going to camp, it can be all kinds of things. And that you're like, what, 25 years old, or whatever you are, you can, you can look <laughs> back, you, you have enough perspective to look back and say, Oh, I can see how some of those things, uh, you know, started to connect for me. Okay. So I'm curious yeah. about what were some of your job, you want some of your dots that led you to um, you're not for, not for profit. I love that. I love the dot theory. Um, and I, I think I've, I have termed it wayfaring. Um, mm. and, and it's applicable, not just for finding your path or being open to your path or the path will come, but also, you know, as uh, company owners and in leadership positions, people are constantly asking you, what is your five-year goal? Where do you see yourself in two years from now? And I always found that so frustrating because like you say, you have to be open to those dots and the dots aren't yet visible when you're being asked those questions. So I, I appreciate that, that perspective and theory. And for me, I have absolutely connected the dots. And um, I was, uh, I don't know if you just recently read my interview in Authority Magazine, because I talked no. about a lot. Um, I, um, it's funny, because I think I was born in, um, uh, in Australia, in a, um, a hippie community, right? So we lived off the grid, um, no electricity or running water. And um, so the first five years of my life were spent that way. And I, I, I'm, I'm sure I don't remember much from those years, but what I do remember is very happy, you know, just um, eating vegetables out of the garden and going eel fishing with my dad and being just completely elated from finding the perfect toy in the, in the junkyard, you know, <laughs> this mm -hmm. happiness. And so I, I, I know that because my formative years were spent with, with just the basic necessities and that to me means happiness. I think that was, is the foundation for where things went for me from there. Um, that said, um, when we left Australia, we landed in a small town in East Texas. And what I was looking around me and seeing as success was, you know, all the school clubs and activities and straight A's and the captain of the cheerleading squad. And so I did those things um, because I thought I should. Um, so, so I, what I took note of was my, you know, uh, tendencies to be to gravitate toward leadership positions. Mm. Um, but it wasn't really, you know, filling my cup, so to speak. Um, so from there, I went on um, to university and then on to law school um, with the with the notion of, you know, having a, an excellent income and taking care of myself and any family that may come. Um, and I did those things too. I checked those boxes, but I, I was not... I was not happy. And I, I, I have since I was a teenager and I don't talk about this much, Tim, but I, I feel like it's important for this conversation. I, I have struggled with anxiety and depression and, um, I, I, I was not doing so well in that battle, although on paper, it looked pretty great, great for yeah. me. 
Um, and so I, when I came across this opportunity with, with that friend to help um, in, in East Africa, I, I jumped on it. I was drawn to it. And I, I have to take, I had to take note at that time because what I haven't yet mentioned is that aside from the leadership stuff that I was drawn to in undergrad, I, my first major was in civil engineering. Um, and then when I went to law school, my focus was environmental law, I even clerked for the EPA region six in Dallas in clean water. <laughs> and then, wow. um, with no, with no thought of someday I want to go to Kenya and dig a well. No clue. It was just the yeah. wildest thing. I think my environmental law professor had said, you know, I think you'd be a really good fit for this open position in Region X. And, and I took it and, and I, I got disenchanted with governmental intervention and environmental issues, but I really enjoyed that experience. And um, so I, it, in retrospect, all these dots that you spoke to really do make sense to me. Um, and at the, of course, at the time with every new dot, I had no idea where the dots were going to lead me, but, but now, but it makes a lot of sense. And so then, and I traveled so much, I've always been really excited about international travel and seeing new things and meeting new people and learning everything that I could, you know, get my eyes on. And, um, so this opportunity to help in this one little village in rural Kenya was exciting and I really, really like sunk my teeth into figuring out how we could be the most helpful and have the most impact. So we did that first well and on the drill site, on that first project, I, I just knew that this was my new path. That's how it all kind of happened. And if I can say this, because we're just chatting, I see a lot of girls were the anxiety and depression they're feeling in middle school, high school, and I also uh, counsel women in college. Yeah. Not all of it, but oftentimes there's a sense of they're living their life by shoulds, trying to please other people, not wanting to disappoint people. Yeah. Uh, I should go to college. I should yeah. this. I should that. And I really want to do this. But people tell me you can't make much money, blah, 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 blah. And so they're miserable. I know. Because they're not doing it for them. It's true. <clears throat> And I see it so much more even now than when I was young, you know, I'm, I'm up Gen X, right? And it was even bad then, but it's doubly worse now. And, and I see that and I fear for my own daughter, what I'm, I'm <coughs> glad that she gets to see me and my colleagues, my, you know, my fierce female colleagues and male colleagues and, and you know, how, how we're finding our place in the world outside of all those shoulds. Yeah. Um, and what I didn't circle back on and thank you for reminding me was, um, and I, I should say too, as a disclaimer, like just finding your path in life is not a cure for anxiety and depression, no. yeah. <laughs> but you know, what it does is it, it helps. It helps to fuel the desire to help yourself get better. And you don't cure that. It's still something that I have to struggle with and, um, and cope with daily, but it is easier now because I, I know that I'm on the right path. I know that I'm on the path that is right for me. Um, and so my motivation and inspiration to keep up with that work is just a lot bigger and better. Yeah. And you're doing something that fills you and fulfills you yes. and it just feels right. Yep. And you're, you're in the right, yep. you know, it's like your gut saying, mm -hmm. this is it. You, after the yep. first, well, it was like, okay, this is what, what I've been yep. guiding myself towards, even though I didn't know it. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's true. And then that definition of success for yourself, yeah. because if you have a definition and you're 
in it, you know, and you're living it, but you still feel really bad, you know, then that's an indication that that's not your definition of success. And we all make that for ourselves. And we have to figure that out for ourselves. That is our work. But then when we're there, things are a lot better, especially as women, I think. Yeah. By the way, before I forget, there's, I, I interviewed an author, Claire Feisler. Uh, she, she and another woman whose name I can't remember, wrote a book that came out a couple of months ago through National Geographic. It's called No Boundaries. Be a good book for your daughter to read. It's, okay. a, it's about 25 women, mostly young women, who are doing really cool things and things that you would never dream of. Like, like a girl might say, well, I've always had an interest in animals, so I guess I have to be a vet. Well, but some of these women are doing other really, like one woman is a, uh, is a primatologist, one of them is a vol volcanist. She studies volcanoes. Yeah. There's all of these really cool things yeah. and they're short stories that are meant for girls around your daughter's age, kind of uh, middle school, high school. So it's called No Boundaries. You I might love want to check that. It out. I, yeah. I will get it today. Thank you. I mean, she has a great role model in her mother because um, she's, and I bet, has she gone to Africa with you? Okay. I'm so glad you asked. So as I mentioned, I, I started all of this before she was born. Um, yeah. But I, and so now she's 10. I just brought her on her first trip last oh. month. This cool. month we got home. Yeah, it's only like two weeks ago we got home. <laughs> you can imagine. Yeah, yeah, my, all of the like excitement and anxiety and, and um, nervousness and pressure, you know, I felt like finally getting to bring her um, because she's always wanted to come. When she was little, uh, I think she was probably about two, two and a half when I, went back on my first trip after she was born and she said, mommy, I can go with you. I have a shovel. I can dig. Huh. <laughs> oh, sweet. Oh, no, I know I cried. Um, and so she finally got to go at the age of 10 and she was remarkable. Um, she was just so great. She has grown up with me doing this work and she's seen all of the videos and pictures and heard all of the stories, but you never know, you know, kids need to be who they're going to be. Mm -hmm. And I was fully expecting, um, if, if it turned out that she didn't love it as much as me, that I would just be fine with that. But she was awesome. And I'm just so proud of her. Yeah. yeah. What do you think? What do you think she learned from the trip? Because I think there's our kids are so busy. My kids are all adults, but kids today are so busy. A lot of supervised activities. And there yeah. isn't much downtime to think, read, explore, research, and or do things like being of service to people. And I think we've lost that somehow in our busyness, in our art, like you're talking about, we have this definition of success, which says you go to a top college, you get a good job, you make a lot of money, blah, blah, blah. And there's not much space in there for, by the way, there are other people in the world, there are places to be of service. And I don't think most of our kids get that opportunity. So I'm curious about what you think Violet learned at, at the age of 10, spending a week or two in Africa. Kids do not get that opportunity. And it's such a shame, isn't it? And I, I won't get started on our educational system. Um, <laughs> but there are, you know, parents and, and daughters listening, you know, there are just so many paths and then paths off of those paths. And just the, the world is just such a beautiful place of opportunity. And I didn't know that when I was growing up. And I don't think um, young people know that now. And for, for Violet specifically, my little girl, I, I noticed as she got older and she was starting to understand more about my work and ask more questions, what was happening is that um, she was starting to take pity um, on the people that we get to benefit, which is a natural 
instinct. And, um, obviously like we, 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 we do feel, um, things for the people that we get to benefit. And that's why we do this work. But I really, I had hoped that she would understand that, um, you know, it's a significant lack of resources in a very different circumstance. And that's where we intervene, but these people were not pathetic. And so when she got there, I saw, I, I, tried so hard. I don't know how well I did at this, but to, to just sort of back off and let her um, just pos- position herself in the community and, and meet the kids on her own, in her own time and in her own way. And I watched it happen and I saw that all click for her. Um, these kids were just like her. They had the same interests. You know, they're setting the same things. They're excited about the same things. They play the same sports. They worry about the same stuff. And I think it did all finally round out for her in her mind that it is just a lack of resources and it is not their fault and they're not to be pitied, but um, it's really cool that she gets to be a part of lifting, lifting those kids up in that way. And that was really cool. So I'm so glad that she's, not just hearing about it and watching videos of it, but she actually went there and, and also saw you and watched you interact and all that. That's even though she may not have come home and said, mom, I was watching you and I made, I was making notes. She, you know, kids, they watch us, they absorb stuff. I, it's my wife and I have been running some uh, weekend retreats, like father, daughter retreats, mother, daughter retreats for the last 20 years or so all over the place. And it's interesting. Sometimes we'll have, uh, the girls and uh, the youngest girl group we do is like seven to nine year olds or seven to 10, I guess. And mm-hmm. we'll ask them at the beginning, tell us your name, where are you from? And uh, we'll ask them, uh, tell us how old you are. Tell us how old your dad is and tell us what your dad does for, for his work. And it's so funny <laughs> because these girls that look at, they'll say, my, I think my dad's 50. I don't know. And then I will say, what does he do for work? And they'll say things like he's on the phone yeah, or he's on the computer, or they have no clue. And, and I think it's they're missing out an opportunity. I think parents are missing out an opportunity to share our stories with them, our successes, our, our mistakes, our failures, our feelings about things. So that she, you know, what she did, what she experienced, I think what you're saying is in Africa was she went from being pity, pity and sympathy to empathy. That's perfectly put. That's exactly what happened. Um, and and I I was really, really grateful for that. And then also just seeing her, uh, seeing that new experience through her eyes was, was more broadly applied for me too, for, for all other children. And we, as an organization, we work with lots of other kids, classrooms that want to get involved in our work Mm. and do their own kinds of, um, fundraising and support and be in connection with the kids that we get to work with overseas and, it's um it's it's been phenomenal for me to see this play out for us as an organization. I didn't I didn't realize in the beginning um, how it would impact these young people and of all ages, but it's I think especially for those like late elementary kids, because you know, not just about like where they're gonna head with their life, but how they understand the world and um what our role can be um, for making the world a better place with nothing more really than an understanding of it and like a little bit of effort and, you know, being involved in a, a tiny campaign. And, and, and then all of a sudden these kids understand that like they just made a huge difference in some yeah. other kid's life across the world. And that, 
is so incredibly empowering. I've, I've heard kids, you know, as young as eight and nine say like, I had no idea that I could help the world, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. you can. and it's, it's phenomenal that they get to have that new understanding of the world and their power at such a young age, because that will stay with them. Yeah. And, it, and maybe they're not going to be curing cancer or something, but little things make a big difference. Uh, you, people may say, well, you, you dug a well 14 years ago. Yeah, but you changed the community. You changed uh, the, uh, I don't know, 100 girls, 50 girls educational trajectory just by digging a well. That's true. And I think that's so important too to understand, especially as a young person, is that it doesn't matter if it's something huge, even if it's something small, that is power that comes from, from you. And it's also a mindset isn't it? So, you know, once you understand that, you know, it's just your perspective about what kind of power you have for good or for bad, to put it in little kid terms, yeah. um, you know, and you can tap into that goodness power, it can just kind of change the way you think about things forever. Yeah, I, I tell parents a lot, especially I saw a girl in my office yesterday. And she's only five, I usually don't see kids that young, but she, she snuck in somehow. And she's very precocious. She's five going on literally 30. She's just, she was amazing. But she's been butting heads with kids. And she's been labeled as being bossy, all, which just drives me crazy. She's a powerful like little, she's a powerful little creature. And she's, she's got rough edges. And I think for, for kids like that, whether they're five or 10, like Violet is, or they're 15 or whatever, what they're really looking for and what they really need is they need places to channel it. I agree. Appropriate places to be powerful and to take yeah. leadership and to have a cause or to create something or to whatever. And when they're doing those things, they're like the greatest things since sliced bread. But, and right. so, but we tend to butt heads with them instead of giving them uh, channels. That's a shame too. And I, um, I, I probably shouldn't unpack that the way I want to right now. Cause I, I do think that that, um, how we think about young girls is, is different too than how we think about young boys and how they're yeah. supposed to behave and, 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 and use their, their voice. Um, but I agree. I, I think that um, I, and I never wanted Violet to have that label. It's unavoidable um, in a lot of situations, but I've been trying so hard and to make sure she understands that her fierceness and she's a precocious child too. Um, and the ways that she sort of thinks outside of the box and understands even math differently, she's good at math, but she understands it differently. And that, 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 that is not wrong, you know, for mm -hmm. her, um, that she's doing great. And you mentioned earlier, all of this over scheduling, um, yeah. and just keeping the calendar packed and, by virtue of, you know, our living situation, because I am a single mom and it's just the two of us, I have had to tell her, <laughs> I've, I've heard it on podcasts, so I'm sure, it, you know, I'm like, well, no, this is you know, expert advice. It is good for kids to be bored. It just is. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You have to use the next three hours that I need to be in this meeting to, you know, use all of these supplies and make something that you want to make, or you have these books to choose from, or, you know, and I, we have had to do that as a family of two. And I really think that she has thrived from that. I don't know if that's true across the board, but I really do firmly believe that it is good for kids to be bored, to use their imagination, to figure out how to self-soothe and entertain themselves <laughs> and be, you know, cool people. Yeah. At our, at our camp a week ago, our first camp, we had uh, 
25 grade school girls, 25 middle school girls. And at our staff meeting, we were trying to you know set some plans and we involve the girls once they come and what, we, what are we going to do this week for fun? And what we, what we, what we constantly strive for is let's not over schedule. We want to have a lot of downtime. We, we don't want to be a camp where every hour a horn blows and yeah. you move to another activity. So we have afternoons where they can, you know, the, the pool's open, the, you know, we may go up to the lake. There's always two or three things going on, but they pick and choose. So yeah. they want to go up to the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the uh, lake and kayak for three hours. They can do that. They want to fish yeah. for it. And, and in the evening times, we'll have a couple hours after dinner before we do maybe an evening activity to just hang out. And in that, and yeah. some of the staff who, who aren't as experienced were like, well, they're going to get bored. We're like, yeah, I hope so. Right. Because then they start making up games yeah. and they start doing these really cool. Th I mean, we've had 31 years of experience. It's so fun. That's to me, the funnest part of our camp is that spontaneous fun that happens when they're bored. Yeah. It, it's a beautiful thing to watch. I, I wish that we could allow kids to do that more. Um, together. It, it's not the way that culture guides us right now, but um, th that's what we do as a family. And you kind of grew up with that. It sounds like. I was a free range child for yeah. sure. Yeah. So um, you learned the value, you know, as a, as a uh, little kid. I did. And it's interesting too, because that's when I started to dream you know, and, and I don't think that kids have the opportunity to dream anymore and look for those dots that you spoke to. Yeah. Um, and, and now too, what I see happening, um, with young people, girls and boys alike is we're, oh, they're overscheduled, um, without a whole lot of opportunity to figure out how to self-manage. And then they hit university in real life and it's jarring, isn't it? Yeah. The contrast is, is not, um, it's not a good way to enter society. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't think. And I guess we'll, we'll have to wait and see, you know, 10 years from now, what my daughter is up to, but I think she's on a good path. I yeah. think she, yeah. we, we don't do this every summer. Um, but we've, we've always tried to have an afternoon where we spend a couple hours doing some kind of service. Oftentimes it's to the camp. We don't own the camp facility. We just rent it, but so we do something for the camp. And the way we kind of frame it is we'll, we'll circle the girls up and we'll talk about, ask them, how many of you have ever done something of service before, like a service project? And a lot of them have. And we'll say, well, how'd you feel when you did that? What was the feeling that it was about that? And they talk about how they felt happy. They felt proud. They felt connected. They, so they all, most of them have had experiences like that. And that could be because we want to make it a one, two, instead of a half two, because they're being forced to do service, then. Yeah, we're going to get all kinds of pushback and all. So we, we it's so more of like, this is why I might want to do it. And then we also go around the circle right before we start. We, and we have them dedicate their their day of service to somebody who has been of service to them. And, and we'll go around the, and, they, and they have great stories. They'll say, I want to dedicate this, this uh, day of service to my grandmother because she's always been there for me. I want to dedicate this day of service to my mom because, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so when they, I think when they have that, like you said before, there was a lot of shoulds growing up, at least sort of after the your hippie your hippie days. <laughs> so, that, so I think when we can make it into something that's their choice, then they then they get the goodies from it that that we want to get them that we want them to get from it. Yeah, and then that that adds that layer of gratitude too, which I think is 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 uh, pretty important, you know, for for somebody who wants to follow a path of service. I don't know that you can really without that, um, very real recognition of, a 
the gratitude. If people want to learn about your uh, your not for profit, how would they how would they find that and how would they get a hold of it? Our website is wellawareworld.org. Um, and we haven't talked about it much, but you you may have some people listening that are interested in the new company that we we started called Well Beyond. It is um, a very niche uh, solution to the water system failure in our sector, which is a pretty significant issue in the water charity industry. And we have created an app to um, support community members in maintaining and fixing the water systems on their own. So we have both now. And if people, if, and if people were going to get involved because they felt like this is really awesome, how you know what are some ways that they would contribute? I love this question. And I, I first, because I love the opportunity to, to let everybody know that almost all of the, the, the actual work and hands-on efforts we source in country. So we don't, um, we don't bring a bunch of people over to these regions and drop them off to paint a wall or dig, dig, it, dig a ditch or plant some trees because there is enough expertise and resources and um, desire to complete those things in country. And then that further supports that local economy. However, <laughs> that didn't answer the question. So we still recruit so much support over here. Uh, we even have a classrooms to clean water program. And we have um, uh, an end of year annual sort of gala, but our flagship support campaign happens every April and it is called the shower strike. And it is- The shower strike? <laughs> yeah. So, um, Right, Tim, before we even did our first water system, rewind to when I was talking about raising those funds through that first well, we had to get really scrappy. I had no fundraising experience. <laughs> um, I was uh, committed and I figured out how to code buttons in PayPal. And we decided that we were going to tell all of our friends and family we were not going to shower again, take a shower until we raised enough money for this first well. And by golly, we did it. We raised $25,000 in a couple of wow. weeks. Yeah, just by saying we're going to shower. So we still do it every year and it's grown every year. We raised almost half a million this past year through our oh, shower. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. That's um, incredible. And all, all of this you can find on our website, wellawareworld.org. We also have a really lovely um, growing group of companies um, who are supporting our work and participating in the shower strike campaign. And then we have our, um, our monthly recurring uh, program called the village. And we have a growing number of those incredible humans also committing to support our, uh, the timeline around how, how, and when we implement and the number of projects we get to do every year, which is lovely. So uh, parting, parting question, uh, based upon all your experience of, of being an entrepreneur and creating this not-for-profit and putting your heart and soul into it, and now also including your daughter in the process. Any, any words you would have to parents about how they can get their daughters to become um, interested in, invested in being of service? I think, you know, um, my, my poor kid had no, no real choice than to be exposed to it and you know whether or not she chose to follow a similar path but I I think allowing your kids to explore the world is really the first step I think um, that handing them 
a schedule for service is, is absolutely fine. Um, but probably not inspirational, but I, I, you know, I have many friends with, with kids and I've just worked with lots of kids. And I understand now that just allowing them the space to explore and read about other cultures, travel if you can. And then what happens with the kid's imagination is they start to really understand where the weaknesses in our world are and where they may be able to plug themselves in to have that power to make a change. And so I, I think like giving them a menu of items of things that they can go and volunteer for is fine. I think that the best place is just to allow them that mental and emotional space to learn about the world. Yeah, and then they can. Yeah. yeah. Autonomy is always important, whether you're autonomy. trying to learn to read or anything, sure. having, having the choice. I also think, and you, you're, you're a good model for this, just doing it, just being it. Because um, yeah. they, they're watching and they're, if they, if they'll see your passion, they'll see your interest, they'll see you pouring yourself into something and, and they'll be curious about that. And that modeling, sometimes those, those are seeds that don't, you know, bear fruit or trees when they're 10 or 15 or 18. But then once they become adults, you'll be able to look back and go, oh, it's interesting how those seeds yeah. start to start to bloom. That's true. And I, I think too, just one more thing on this is just to be brave because you may have like a wacky bizarre idea about how to make a difference or support this one little thing that you saw as a weakness in our society or in the in the world and just do it just try it it doesn't matter I think I was terrified when I started doing this work but I was also 30 you know so um I I had to muster up the bravery but as a child I think you inherently just have more of that and just just use it yeah. And I, what I tell girls is, yes, you may be nervous, you're, there's fear, but there's also usually excitement, a sense of adventure. Yeah. And so you're, you're in charge of which which one you focus on. You, if you over focus on the fear, then you'll be paralyzed and you won't do anything. If you focus right. on the excitement and the adventure and the curiosity and whatever else, and usually that helps you to kind of overcome fears. So I we've say. been talking... Oh, go ahead. Sorry, just one more thing as I love to tell Violet and anyone who will listen to me that life begins outside your comfort zone. Yeah. Where the thrill start. So I, I should say this 10 times, but we've been talking to Sarah Evans and she uh, is the founder of a not-for-profit called Well Aware. If you want more information, if this has piqued your interest, which I hope it has, uh, check out her website at wellawareworld.org. Did I get that right? That's perfect. Yeah, and lots of ways you can you can uh, learn about what she's doing. Lots of ways to contribute, and also as it's just one other place your kids can start to see beyond their own little walls and to see that it's a big world and they have a place in it and they have a they have a way to make a difference. Yeah, that's true. Thanks so much for this opportunity, Tim. Yeah, thanks so much. Well, that was awesome, Sarah Evans. S A R A H. Evans. That's, it's amazing what she's done. It's amazing what she's doing for the world. It's also amazing the kind of modeling she's doing for her daughter. And I think that is something that we all are doing, whether we're aware of it or not. And we're modeling something, whether we're aware of it or not. So be conscious about what you're modeling. Also try and encourage your daughters, maybe through your example of doing some service work, uh, like we do at our summer camps. Spending a couple hours being of service to the camp is awesome. And the kids have fun. We make it fun. And it feels good to be of service to other people. Uh, once again, her website, Sarah, Sarah's website is wellawareworld.org. So check it out.
and uh, and get involved. Uh, thanks for stopping by here. I'll be back here in a week with another new podcast. I hope you enjoyed this. And if it's interesting to you, it may be interesting to your daughters as well. And maybe it'll spark something in them, another dot. I'll see you back here in a week. Thanks for dropping by. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.